wow, that's the first time I've ever had that, but uh, I thought as Chad said, he wouldn't be where he is today, and I didn't know we messed him up that bad. It is a joy to get to share this message. I preached this message last Sunday in Marshfield, and from what I understand, some of the kids were mad at me because I had forgotten to ask Brother Ken to take my place, so there's nobody out there giving gummies to them last Sunday, and some of them left highly offended. <laughs> For our online audience, welcome to you. We're delighted to have you with us. And if you're here for the first time, or you've maybe been here before, but you've never filled out a guest card or a connect card, in the seat pocket in front of you, there's a connect card, and we would love, absolutely love, to have a record of your visit with us. So would you reach in and get that and fill it out, take it back to the Welcome Center after the service, and they will give you a free gift. I, I told Tim that the free gift is a picture of me, and if you have a garden, you can put that picture out in the garden, and it will scare away all the, all the animals. So we, But seriously, we would love to have a record of your visit with us, so would you fill that out? Today is a message that I literally have wept as I have studied because it is so heavy. I woke up early this morning and my heart was heavy, not with sadness. I don't mean that. Just a, just a, And it was nothing bad. It was just a burden and a concern. What if Jesus was serious about eternity? I normally opened up a service when I'm preaching and, and I read a scripture like most ministers do, but today I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm not going to read a scripture for my text this morning. Instead, I want to take you to an old song of the faith that all of you know. It's called Amazing Grace. I want to take you to the fourth verse of Amazing Grace. And it tells us there when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Now, if, if you would give me the leeway to do so, I'd like to change one word there and uh, add a little bit more emphasis to it and say it this way. When we've been there 10 trillion years, we've no less days to sing his praise. Do you see what I'm saying there? Do you see what I'm getting across? That eternity is unending. I mean, there's not going to be a... It, it, it just... It just goes on and on and on and on. And whether you believe this or not, you are an eternal being. Did you know that? You are an eternal being and you will be in eternity. So uh, scripture tells us that in, in Matthew 19, 29, and anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So I looked up Webster, what the word eternal means, and it means seemingly endless, continued without intermission, of or relating to eternity, or having infinite duration or everlasting. So I looked up the word eternity. Eternity means a seemingly endless or immeasurable time. Matthew 19, 16 going to have a lot of scripture to you today to show you that God really believes in eternity. Matthew 19, 16, the New King James. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, 
What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? God is serious about eternity. John 3, 15 and 16 says this, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There it says eternal and it says everlasting life. You see, I've heard, I've had people that make theologies out of one or two verses and folks, you just can't do that. That's not the way to do it. You must have more information than that. And eternity is something that is mentioned so very, very often in the Bible. You can see by the verses that I've already read that Jesus was very serious about eternity. So ask yourself this question. What if Jesus was really serious about eternity? Point number one is this. Eternity is a long time. I guess I could say it this way. Eternity is a really, 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 really long time. I mean, as a matter of fact, there's no end to eternity. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I can't comprehend that. We are so involved in time. I mean, it's so important to us. I'm going to be there tomorrow at 1 o'clock. I'm going to be there Thursday at noon. We, we, everything in our lives revolves around time. But in eternity, there will be no such thing as time. When you've been there 10,000 years, when you've been there 10 million years, when you've been there 10 billion years, when you've been there 10 trillion years, there's no less days to sing his praise. Do you understand that? We're no nearer the end than when we first started because there is no end. The Bible tells us that the future extends beyond the earth. Now, not like sci-fi might indicate today, but God created mankind to exist forever. You say, no, wait just a minute, preacher. I've got loved ones that, that have already died. Well, yes, but they're going to live in eternity they're going to be somewhere in eternity. And we're going to show you those two destinations. Ecclesiastes 3.11 in the New Living Translation says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. And look at this. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted within you every one of us, to be eternal beings. You're not just going to die and, and wilt and, and stay in the grave. Ten trillion years from now, you're still going to be alive somewhere. I know that's hard to comprehend. That's hard to fathom. I mean, I thought, preacher, when we go in the grave, it's over, that everything is behind us then. There's, there's, no, there's nothing beyond that. Oh, oh, there is definitely much beyond that. Eternity is real. And you and I are going to experience this. But as I said earlier, I've talked about, I, I, mean, even, I mentioned that eternity is a long, long time. But you see, time will not exist, as I said earlier. There will be no such thing as time. You won't have to wake up and say, well, I, I got to be around the Glory Avenue at one o'clock today. 
won't be necessary because there will be no such thing as time. Now is when points two and three intersect and come together. There are two eternal destinations for mankind and only two. And anyone who teaches you differently is teaching you false doctrine. There are only two destinations. I remember as a kid, we would sing a song, and I don't know that I have exactly got the words right, so if you've heard this and you know the words better, come to me afterwards and let me know that I said it wrong. That'll be okay. But the words that I remember is eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity? It's heaven or hell for you, my friend. Where will you spend eternity? Two places. So point number two is this. What if Jesus was serious about eternity in heaven? I think you would be like me and find it hard to comprehend everlasting peace. Try to imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. This last two weeks, I've tr- I really have, I've tried to imagine. And it's just, it's just so far above my head, which a lot of things were there too also. But, but it's so far above my head that I can't even fathom what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be a place of beauty. Think about it. There's going to be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. I've stood over the graves of many people and oftentimes I have looked at the funeral director who might be standing there and I've said, you know, in heaven, we won't need you. I did that not long ago and the lady looked at me and she said, I know, I'm going to be there. But you see, there'll be no funeral homes. There'll be no funeral processions driving down Glory Avenue. It's going to be a place of unparalleled beauty like you have never known. Your life is going to be filled with joy and happiness, peace and contentment. On the lighter side, that's made a little bit silly, but there'll be no light bills there. I don't know how many. I received mine this week. And after my, I put my teeth back in and they're not even false. I thought, I'm sure glad there'll be no light bills there because Revelation 21, 23, look what it's going to be like. The city had no need of the sun or need of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated. And look at this last line. The Lamb, Jesus, is its light. You know, we've oftentimes said how somebody can smile and they seem to light up a room. Well, I can almost picture Jesus as he now has his bride home and and the church is his bride. And he's so proud and so happy that he's constantly smiling and his smile lights up the entire city of heaven. What a day that's going to be. Now, I, I have a personal hope. I don't, it's not necessarily opinion, but I have a personal hope, a personal desire that when I get to heaven, and I am only going to depict this in, in words that I can understand because I know that heaven's not going to be anything like this, but I hope that God has recorded everything that has happened in history. I, I'm serious. I hope he has recorded everything so that I can sit down 
flip on the DVR or the DVD or whatever they have in heaven and show Jesus creating the universe. Dolph, can you imagine what that would be like to sit there and watch as, as, as Jesus says, let there be light, and there was light. And then he separates the waters from the head. I mean, I, that would be so exciting to me. I think there would be times, you know, when the Chiefs score a touchdown, especially my youngest grandson, Malik. Now, when they don't do well, oh, he, he gets, he's so much like my dad. My dad would, oh, my dad would get so mad and he wouldn't want to have anything to do with the Cardinals when they were doing bad. Well, Malik's like that. When the Chiefs are doing bad, he'd, he'd, he'd turn it off. Turn it off, Papa. I don't even want to watch it. And then we turn it back on and they score a touchdown and he goes running around the room screaming. Well, I can see me there as I'm watching this and standing up and saying, yeah, go for it. It's going to be that way. I can't imagine what it would be like to watch as Moses parts the Red Sea or Charlton Heston won. Now, for you younger generation, you're looking at me and saying, what? Does Charlton Heston? Well, there was the, the old movie, The Ten Commandments, where Charlton Heston parts the Red Sea. You understand? So that's where I came up with that. But can you imagine what it would be like to watch Jesus being raised from the dead? Oh, do you understand why I would love to do that? I would love to sit down for hundreds and thousands of years. No, no, no. I can't adequately describe heaven, but I'm a, I know that it's going to be beyond imagination. John 14, 2. There is a little controversy on this scripture. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. Now, some have said that that word mansions doesn't really mean mansions. It means dwelling places. And I find that a rather ridiculous argument. I mean that because it, to me it doesn't make any difference if it's a mansion or if it's a dwelling place. It's going to be better than anything I've ever had here. You think God is going to build me a shack on, on the corner of Glory Avenue and Hallelujah Road? And say, this is, your, this is your home. This is your dwelling place. I, this week, on the, uh, one of the articles that I read, seems showed Patrick Mahomes' new house in Kansas City. Have any of you seen it? Oh, my word. It's unbelievable. And then I read about these movie stars and these musicians that buy 120, 130, $140 million homes. But I want you to look at me. I may not look it. But I am rich. When I get to heaven, Pastor Ed, my, my home, if you want to call it that, it's going to be better than anything that any mover star has ever bought. Whether it's a dwelling place or whether it's a mansion, I don't care. But there have, it, it just doesn't make sense. So don't argue about that. He's not going to build you a shack. Revelation 21 verses 11 through 27. And I'm not going to take the time to read that to you, but I want to give you an overview of that. 
It describes heaven as a place of such beauty that we literally can't describe it. It says the streets are purest gold. Now down here, I heard my dad, my dad was a minister and I heard him one time talking about the streets of gold and he said down here, we put as a base the chat and then we'll put either concrete or asphalt on top of that and we call that our, our, our streets. But from what I look at right here, it indicates to me that the streets of heaven are purest gold. There's no, there's no chat. It's, it's, it's gold from all the way through. Can you imagine the splendor of a place like that? I don't, to be honest with you, I don't need a place that fancy. I won't even know how to act when I get to heaven. And by the way, I've heard a lot of people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run up to Jesus and hug him. You ain't either. No, no, no. You're not going to run. His glory is going to be so great that when you get in his presence, you're going to fall on your face. You're going to bow down and you're going to worship the creator of the universe. You're not going to run up and hug his. Now later you may get to, but when you first see him, you are going to be so incredibly odd. Oh, the foundations are garnished with precious stones. Now, Dolph, when, when you build a building, you build the foundation very strong because that's vitally important. But you don't try to make it fancy or pretty. You just, you make it something that, that it holds up the building. But in heaven, the foundations are made of precious stones. That's how elaborate our God is. And then there are 12 gates. This is the one that I think gets me the most with each gate being made of one pearl. Now, I don't know the size of those gates, but I'm sure they're pretty big. But we see pearls, they're about this size, aren't they, most of them? But this is one pearl. I didn't make it up. That's what the heaven, the Bible says about it. That's what your new home is going to look like. That's where you're going to live 10,000, 10 trillion, 100 trillion, a billion trillion years. There'll be no sin there. No husbands having an affair on their wife or no wife having an affair on their husband. There'll be no child abuse. There'll be no sexual abuse. Think about it. No murder. No rape. No evil. I remember when Marquina and I went to Israel we pulled into the streets of Jerusalem. Our guide looked, and I don't know if it's still that way now because that was quite a few years ago. But she looked at us and in the, those on the bus with us and said, if you want to take a walk in Jerusalem, you can take a walk at any time of the day or night. You're safe. If you see a band of young men coming toward you, don't fear. They're not going to harm you because we just don't have that here. Can you imagine? You can... You can walk the streets of glory and you're not going to have to worry about somebody abusing you, pulling you down and sexually abusing you. You can, you can enjoy the splendor of heaven, but my last thought on heaven is this. Most importantly, Jesus is going to be there. 
I'm not worried about the splendor. I'm not worried about the magnificence. If I can just be with Jesus, it will make it all worthwhile. And point number three is a point that you don't hear preached much anymore. What if Jesus was serious about eternity in hell? I think one of the reasons that most preachers don't want to preach on hell, and I have not preached on hell in years until last Sunday, but I think they put the label on your hellfire and brimstone preacher. Well, I am not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I am a Bible preacher, and the Bible speaks about hell. As a matter of fact, did you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven? Do you know that? There must be a reason. Now, I'm, I'm not a beggar. I don't, I don't like to beg people. If I ask you to do something and I sense some hesitation, I will most likely back away and not ask you a second time because that's just my nature. But this morning, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to beg you, literally beg and plead with you that you make sure that you are ready to meet Jesus and that you do not spend eternity or survive in the flames of hell. Folks, I beg you to make sure they're right. I've told you about this teaching here once before, I think, but there's a teaching out now that says hell is not a literal place. Hell is only something that happens bad to you on earth. I was thinking, Russ and Tracy and Jordan and Hayden, when you got the word that your little grandbaby, little lady, how old was she when you found it? Just a few days, just how old? The day of that she was going to have to have a heart transplant. I mean, a little baby that's just born, she's going to have to have a heart transplant. Well, this doctrine would say, well, that's your hell on earth. Or Summer Stewart, I, I, I think I saw you. I was thinking of you that when you got the word that you had cancer and you knew that you were going to have to go through chemo and radiation and, and all of that goes, that goes with it, they would say, well, that was your hell on earth. Or Creed and Caitlin, when you got the word about little Bentley that his heart is messed up and he's going to have to have this and that, they would say that is your hell on earth. But folks, I'm just going to be blunt with you. I, I don't try to impress people too much. If you get mad, well, I'm sorry, but... That's a lie straight from hell itself. There is a literal hell, and it offers indescribable pain and suffering. Matthew 25, verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, eternal, but the righteous into eternal life. So here we find two examples of eternal, but it says those who do not know God will go into everlasting punishment. Luke 16, 19 through 26 tells a story. I believe it is a true story. I don't think it's a parable. I, I believe it's a true story. It's because it says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate dressing desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And listen to this. Listen to how bad it is and how serious it is. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I mean, what he's saying is just one little, one little drop on your fingertip and put it on my tongue just, just, just for a second. That's what it's going to be like. For I am tormented in these flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. In other words, there's no way out. There's no escape. Believe me, I don't get any joy out of preaching this. I don't enjoy this. I'd rather be able to tell you of nothing else that when you die, that's, that's it if you're not a Christian. But that's not what, if you believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, you have to understand this is what it says. Mark 9, 42 through 44 and the New King James says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and, the, and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Now, that is a direction, go to hell. That is not like something coming to you. That is a direction, go to hell. Into, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's what it's going to be like. You say, now I don't understand where it says the, the worm does not die. Well, this is referring, and it's it, using a symbolism, outside the city gates of, of Jerusalem, there's a place called Gehenna. In Gehenna is where they had a everlasting fire. It went on and on and on. It was burning up their trash. It was burning up animal carcasses. It was burning up everything. And maggots and, and worms would come there and they would eat of the, the, the food and, and all of that. And that's what it's referring to. It's so explicit. I, I read something yesterday and I thought that's, that's just too graphic. I can't, I can't present that to them. Especially if there were children here. I just, I just couldn't make it that graphic. But herein lies the good news or the bad news. You can choose where you spend eternity. The good news is that no one else can make that choice for you. But the bad news is that no one else can make that choice for you. I read this article and it says eternal life with Jesus starts the minute we ask him into our lives. The life we start with Jesus on earth will continue into eternity. And likewise, 
if we choose to live without Jesus on earth, we'll continue to live without him in eternity in hell. I follow the news, as, especially as it pertains to current events. Why? Because I believe they pertain to us today. Why is it that Israel, a tiny little nation about the size of New Jersey, is in the news almost every day? Why do all of those Arab nations want to destroy Israel? It's because that's God's land. And it's Satan that is causing that anger, that hatred, and that venom. Why am I saying that? Because I believe that Jesus has given us a, a, a guideline as to when he might be coming back. Marquita and I were talking this week, and she said, you know, it could be 100 years before he comes back. And, 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 and I agree, because no man knows the day nor the hour. But let me tell you something. When I look at the signs... They are pointing to a soon return of Jesus. Now, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that's soon. So I'm not saying he's coming today. But what if he did come today? What, what if he did come today? Would you be ready? Because let me tell you something. If you are not ready to meet Jesus when the rapture takes place, according to Scripture, not according to my teaching, you're going to be still left here alive and you're going to be ushered into a period known as the tribulation. It is going to be the most vicious, evil, murderous time, seven years. And the first part, first three and a half years is bad, but the second three and a half years is called the great tribulation because it's going to be incomprehensible. You're not going to be able to imagine what it's going to be like. So I'm, I'm telling you, you don't have to worry about that. I don't believe the church goes through that. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe the church goes out before the... Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to face tribulation. I see it happening right now to the church. I see the church coming under fire in America like we've never known. And I think it's going to get worse. But I believe before the tribulation period, the church goes home to be with Jesus. We're going to get to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb and enjoy the time with Jesus. But what about you? Are you ready? Do you know this Jesus? I'm going to pray, and when I pray, I want you to ask yourself, have I ever been saved? Or have I been saved, but I've grown cold in my relationship, and I need to rededicate my life to Jesus? Somebody sent me an article. Was it you, Chad, or was it Marquita? That in California, they, they, they were hosting the world's largest baptismal service. Did you read that? Yeah. Hundreds and thousands were being saved. I believe that God is going to do that before he returns, that people are going to be turned to Jesus. Last Sunday at Marshfield, 12 or 13, I couldn't, quite get the count but 12 or 13 raised their hand I left there thanking Jesus for those lives that were ready now and as I pray I want you to ask yourself am I ready do I know for sure that I'm ready